Um, f- first of all, because I know my mum's going to be listening to this, so I wanted to give a quick shout out to my mum. It was her birthday this week. All right, so happy birthday, mum. I've earned my um, some points for this preach. Um, it's been a really odd kind of week. Normally, when I do a preach, I'm kind of confident in what I'm speaking about, and I kind of feel like, okay, yeah, I know what I'm going to speak, I know what I'm going to say, and I'm com- able to come here boldly. But for the first time in ages, I'm actually nervous about preaching, which I really hate. And how many people know, like, it, when you have to get something done and you've got a deadline in mind, especially when it's for church, that's when life just wants to really get in the way. Right? So I, I think I agree. Amen. Harry knows what I'm talking about. So I, I agreed to do this preach uh, in the Easter holidays, um, forgetting that I'm also training a teacher at the moment. And his last week was this week just gone, which meant that so I, I didn't really have time to write my preach. I had to concentrate on all his paperwork, make sure he got, he got through. And then on top of um, making sure that my training got through, decide, Ofsted decided to pay a visit for not one day, but two days. That was absolutely awesome. Just what I needed. I had a couple of nights set aside this week to go, I'm going to f- finish my preach this week. And then on Monday, we got the call, Ofsted are coming for two days. Awesome. Just what I need. Love that. And then I thought, actually, I've got through most of it. I've made it through to Sunday. Well done to me. Okay? Got to 4.30, about to leave the house. Car, battery's flat. Oh, my gosh. You know when... Let me do one of Barry's. Really? One of them one. (laughs) What? Literally, got. I just laughed. and I was like, wow, this preach must be really important for the enemy to really try and set me up like this. So, just... And mindful of this, like, I, whilst prepping, I had, you know, one of those old Christian cliches, if you went to church in the night, you know this, God is good, and all the time, God is good, and all the time, awesome, awesome, you have passed, you can earn your Christian card now, okay, so, <laughs> and um, I was actually, some, something annoyed me, like, in the last school I worked at, and it was a Catholic school. And I, I just, I was sitting in front of my form and I just went, God is good. And about 10 of them went, all the time. I was like, amen. Amen. So I went, all the time. And about nine out of the 10 went, God is good. One boy, after I went all the time, he went, all the time. <laughs> and so, so I went, uh, excuse me, what did you say? I, I say all the time. You go, all the time. That's not how it goes. <laughs> so I asked him, I was like, well, I just always thought that that's what it was. When, when the pastor says, all the time, you say, all the time. Did you not realize that everyone else around you was saying something different? No, he was confidently going, all the time, all the time. <laughs> he just thought that that was something that church people do. That was just a phrase. And it actually really caught me that something that is meant to empower us, something that is meant to bring us comfort, had become just another thing that Christians say. Just another thing. Another cliche to throw out when stuff is coming at you and you just got to go, God is good all the time. And it had no meaning and it really upset me because I kind of thought, well, I don't want the message that God is good, that God does good, and that is able to make all things work for his good. I don't want that to be just another saying in my life. I want that to carry weight. I want that to carry power. I want that to stir me into what I'm doing. And there's certain moments where you just think, God, where are you in all this? But I have to remember that God is good. God does good. And he's able to make all things work for his good. Awesome. So 
in light of that, I decided to name this preach, I Dare You. Turn to your neighbor and say, I dare you. I dare you. Because I... Today, I want to dare you to remember that when things are not going, away, going your way, you need to declare God is good, God does good, and he's able to make all things work for his good. When the doctor says no, God is good, God does good, God is able to make all things good. When the job said no, God is good. When the bank account said no, God is good. When that girl you saw in your dream says no, God is good. <laughs> So I'm not going to bait people out, but people clapping their back. Yes. Yes. <laughs> God is able to make all things work for his good. Amen. And it's difficult to remember because Barry and I were having a conversation a couple of weeks ago. And the truth is, you know what? Living a life of faith, constantly seeking God is not comfortable. It's not a comfortable life. And to be honest, I think the only thing less comfortable than living a life of faith is probably preaching on faith. So wish me luck. I need you to tell me I dare you. <laughs> because I was thinking preaching on faith can carry a lot of weight. And you know, everyone's got these expectations, the things that they're wrestling with in their heart. And I don't want to do something that works against what God is stirring inside of you. Living, living in faith is not comfortable. Living in faith is not comfortable, but I want, to, I want to encourage you again that even in those uncomfortable moments, guess what? God is good. God does good, and he's able to make all things work for his good. And it's why I decided to name this preach I dare you, is because about six years ago, probably around about the first, my first year at Kessid, we were at, I was at a workers' meeting uh, at Orchard Lodge, actually, and... Um, <laughs> It was one of my first workers' meetings at Kesset. I was like, oh my gosh, I've got invited. I'm really important. And um, Barry was preaching about um, private battles. And he picked me out and another guy out. And he said, you two are going through a private battle to set you up for a public victory. And I thought, wow. I was really chuffed. Because, you know, like, when you're the person that gets the prophecy, you're like, yes, that is mine. <laughs> but it was one of those ones where I was like, yeah, hold on, a private battle. <laughs> What? What? <laughs> Barry, you can keep that one if you want to ask God again. <laughs> and to be, on to be honest, I, like, it had come to my mind every now and again, but I had forgotten about that particular prophecy that I had about having a private battle setting me up for a public victory until about probably five, six weeks ago where um, I was at work. I work as a science teacher. And um, it was just after the Easter holidays, and uh, one of the girls in my year 10 class had cut her hair. And I get really nervous when women change their hair. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. Because I'm really scared that, you know, they changed their hair probably a month ago, and I'm only noticing now. I get really scared. But <laughs> I don't know. Normally, I don't, especially when it's a kid, because, oh my God, sir, I did this month, uh, how you just noticed. I didn't want to be in that situation. But <laughs> for some unknown reason, I just felt prompted to go and say to this girl, oh, you've cut your hair. She went, yeah, it looks really nice. And she went, oh, thanks. I thought nothing. I was just giving out my worksheets, and I just went about the rest of my day. Now, that day I had worship practice in the evening, so I was going to work late. I had to visit another school to have a meeting, and I got back to my desk at around about 6 p.m. And I got back to my desk, and there was an email waiting for me from this girl. And she said, so I just want to say thank you. I know it sounds really, really stupid, 
but I really want to say thank you for noticing my hair. I, it, I really want to say thank you for noticing my hair. It sounds really stupid, but it meant a lot to me. And at that moment, I really felt a rush of God's love at that moment. And God was speaking, me, speaking to me in that moment saying, you know what? All the things that you're struggling with that you think other people don't know about, I know about. All the things that you think are insignificant that you don't necessarily want to talk about, I know about and I'm here for you. In those moments where you're struggling, in those moments where you feel insignificant, I am good and I'm able to make all things work for my good. And I really felt empowered. And I started to remember all, all the battles that I'd gone through. And God brought, back, brought, God brought to mind that specific prophecy I had about six years ago. And I started thinking about all the stuff that I'd gone through. And God was going, you, in those moments, you thought no one was noticing. You thought you were by yourself. You were really struggling. But I was there every single moment fighting with you. And I felt, I knew from that moment that that's what I needed to preach on next. That God wants to tell someone here today that he's fighting for you. When you feel insignificant, when you feel like you're coming here and putting on a Sunday face and no one notices what going, oh, God notices. God sees you. And he's willing to fight for you. Amen? In those moments, if I'm being honest, I, I found it difficult to be full of faith. But I now realize that those were the moments specifically where I needed to be the most full of faith. And Andy, can I have my first uh, verse, which is Luke 16, verse 10? And um, it should be, uh, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little um, can also be dishonest with much. And another translation also says that he who is faithful in little is also faithful in much. And from that I get that, you know what, in the times where you're seeking God for the little things, you need to be faithful in those moments. When you build your faith in those small moments, it gets so much easier to have faith for the bigger moments. How can you take a leap of faith if you've not yet learned how to take steps of faith? It doesn't need to be a big dramatic thing. I remember hearing a preach ages ago that, you know, when you're a child, you take small steps. But as, an, as you get older and as an adult, you take larger steps. My normal steps now would look like a ma- six foot three. <laughs> My normal steps now would look like a giant leap to a child. But all I did was continue walking and taking continual steps of faith. It doesn't necessarily need to be a dramatic leap of faith, but as long as you're constantly seeking God in the small things, that continues to build your faith larger and larger for when the big things in life come to you. And I want to dare you to continue taking those small steps of faith, to continue claiming those victories in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? So, my, I've got three I dare you's for you. The first I dare you is I dare you to embrace the private battle. I dare you. Those moments where you feel like you're struggling that no one else sees. Because God sees those small aspects of life and sets, uses them to set you up for a public victory. Amen? So if we look, I'm going to quickly go through the story of actually David and Goliath. And if we go to 1 Samuel 17, verse 34 to 37. Um, at this point, David is speaking to Saul just before he goes to fight um, Goliath. And, and the verse goes, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it 
and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord God who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Amen. Those private battles which no one else knew about, David didn't boast about, no one knew that was going on. He was struggling in those moments, but they set him up to be ready to face Goliath. They specifically set him off. They were painful. I mean, I, I imagine that it's pretty difficult to face a lion and a bear. They were painful. They were difficult. It was a struggle, but it set him up. So when he saw Goliath, he knew, God brought me through that. I'm ready to face whoever that is. Amen? Even Jesus himself had similar private battles. If we look at um, Matthew 4, verse 1 to 11, this is just after Jesus got baptized. And uh, the verse goes, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you were the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. Even Jesus himself had to have a private battle before he went on to sell on his ministry. This was before he started his ministry, before he even called his disciples. He was in the wilderness by himself having a private battle. A private battle which set him up for the ministry set before him. So when you're going through that private battle right now, whatever you're struggling with, embrace it. Because it's setting you up for a public victory. Every struggle, every stone, every piece of the enemy that comes against you is setting you up. I love that. <laughs> when the car wasn't working in the afternoon, I just laughed. I was like, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. I knew it. I knew that every, the more resistance I get this week, I know that God is going to come through. It, 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 encourages, it encourages me. It builds me up. Amen? Right, cool. I dare you, number two. I dare you to be obedient and to serve even when it looks like it's all going wrong. Even when it looks like things are not working out, that the thing that you tried, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in the face. Continue serving. Continue being obedient. If you look at 1 Samuel 17, verse 16 to 21. Um... This is uh, as Jesse sent David to go and see his brothers. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring them back some assurance, for, sorry, and bring back some assurance from them. They always saw and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah 
fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached out to the camp um, as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Israelites were drawing up their lines facing each other. You see, at this point, David was already anointed to be king. David was already set up to be king. Now, if David's a better guy than I, because if, if I was anointed to be king and Saul's in battle, I'd be like, oh, what a shame. There's a massive battle going on and, and the king's there. You know what? I'm just going to stay here and pray. Lord, you know what it means. Can you, you know, do what you do? But no, <laughs> David wasn't disobedient. He went directly there. He obeyed his father. And guess what? In his service, that set him up for a move of God. His service positioned him for a move of God. Your continual service, your obedience will always set you up for a move of God. Amen? Just be persistent. Even when it looks like in the face of... David was anointed months and months before he was able to be king. He could have been sitting there going, God himself... God's prophet himself has anointed me. Why am I still waiting here? God, you said that this was going to happen. Why am I still in this job? Why am I still single? Why does the doctor's report still say this? God, you said it. Why am I still here? But in his service, in his obedience, he was able to be positioned for a move of God. Amen? I love this story um, in... John 2, verse 1 to 10. It's actually Jesus' first miracle. And it's when uh, Jesus turned water into wine. And um, on the third day, when a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, Jesus' mother was there, and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve... That's my favorite verse in the Bible. What? <laughs> I don't know if it's favorite. That's top 10. Let me say that to my mom. Woman, why do you involve me? What? <laughs> Mom, I would never do that, please. I know you're listening. <laughs> Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, sorry, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from uh, 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out and take some to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. And you can have the previous bit. I love this bit. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who drew the water knew. See, the guests had no idea a miracle had just taken place. The servants knew. It's so easy to be a guest in the house of God. But you don't always get to see the move of God. We talk about this all the time in the worship team. So easy to be. But the servants knew that there was a miracle taking place. Their service positioned them specifically for a move of God. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Cool. I dare you, number three. Focus on who 
God is at all times. Now, um, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of Christian cliches, but this is one out there. That, oh, don't tell God how big your problem is. Tell the problem how big your God is. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I've said it before. God forgive me. Well, I've, said it, I've definitely said it before. I get the sentiment. But my issue with that is I'm, my focus is still the problem. My fo- in, in, that, in that, my focus is still the problem. I'm going to God saying, uh, rather than, don't go to God saying, oh, my problem is, let me talk to the problem. I don't want to talk to the problem. Why am I going to concentrate on the problem? I want to concentrate on God. I want my focus to be on God. Even when there's a problem, I'd, my thing is, even when there are problems in front of me, I'm never going to let that cloud my vision of God. Even when a problem wants to stand up right here in my face, that, tr- that wants to take my full attention. No, sorry. My heart is right here with God. Never let your problems blind you from what God is doing. So if we look at First um, Samuel 17, uh, verse 41 to 47. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, amen? The God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day, the Lord will never, sorry, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Amen. Even when Goliath was right here, standing here, he didn't quiver. He never let it. Doubt, he never let it blind him from God, who his God was. He never, ever lost sight of who God was. When you're trying to build your faith, when you're trying to dare yourself to have more faith for a situation, it gets really easy to have the whispers of your enemy in your ear and your situations and your reality in front of you. When constantly what you want to have is the word of God in your ear and the face of God in front of you at all times. Amen? In Matthew 14, 22 to 31, we see the same thing again. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples go into the boat on ahead of him on the other side whilst he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up from the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone in a boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walk on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come and walk on the water. Come, he said. So Jesus told him to come. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. But Lord, you told me to move. Lord, you told me to move, but these situations are overwhelming me. Lord, come and save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? 
You see, at that moment, Peter allowed the situation to overwhelm him. He forgot that Jesus had told him to come. This wasn't out of his own doing. Jesus said, come. But he let what the wind and the waves, everything that was going on around him, envelop him and lose sight of who what God was in that moment. And then he ended up in a situation going, Lord, save me. And Jesus' only reply was, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? When stuff is going on in your life and you need to build up your faith, just constantly keep your eyes on Jesus. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is actually Psalm. Don't worry, Andy, I didn't put this in. This, this just came to me. One of my favorite verses is actually Psalm 34. I want to say five. And it says, those who look to the Lord, their faces are radiant. They are never covered with shame. Isn't that an awesome declaration? Their faces are radiant. They're never covered with shame as long as you're constantly looking to God. I dare you. I dare you today to do those things. To embrace the private battle. To be obedient and serve. And to continually focus on God. And the reason why I dare you is because, you know what? We've been through it. We've definitely been through it. And I can come out the other side and go, you know what? I don't want you to make the same mistakes that I did. It's been, yeah, five years in July. Stand up, beautiful wife of mine. This is my baby. <laughs> Woo! She wants to stand up. <laughs> That's my girl. <laughs> Man. But <laughs> it's to be able to get here, it took a lot of ideas. It took a lot of ideas. Am I right to be vulnerable with you for a little bit? It's a little bit difficult. That's probably why I'm being quite nervous. But um, you know what? I got that prophecy, let's say, probably 2012. And I held on to it. But I felt like nothing happened. And I tried to you know, just live in my life. But I kind of felt like my life was spiraling. And I kept challenging God on what he had said, but, you know, but Lord, you spoke to me on that night. You said I was going to go through this private battle for a public victory, and I can't see where that's going to come from. And it was really difficult. I'd completed my degree in molecular medicine and biochemistry. Yeah. <laughs> I completed my teacher training, but I had no job. And then eventually I was selling caravan holidays. Hello, you're through to Park Resorts. My name is Aya. How may I help you? <laughs> <sighs> Excuse me, where's this uh, call center? It's in Colchester. Don't ignore my name. It's in Colchester. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it was really annoying. But at the end of the day, the boss at the caravan place really liked me. And um, she gave me as, much, as many hours as I wanted, which allowed me to kind of put money towards our wedding. And um, it was really, really tough, but stuck it through. And then uh, three months to the day before we were meant to get married, uh, Becca's brother died of cancer. And it was really, really tough. <laughs> and um, I am not going to cry. <laughs> um, it was really, really tough. Because you know what? We were young. We, we just tried to power through, you know? And um, we hadn't realized that go us going through that had changed us. And the problem is we were coming to church every Sunday, but we both felt shame. 
I felt shame because I felt like I wasn't doing enough for my girlfriend who was going to become my wife because I could see that she was upset. And I felt shame coming to church every Sunday. I had to be on the worship team and had to be like, yay, and dance and do everything. But I could see how upset my wife was in the congregation, and I felt shameful. And Becca felt shame because she felt like, well, I'm a Christian. I'm meant to, I, I know where Josh has gone. I'm meant to get over this. And then we got married, and then we felt even more shame because our marriage prep continued into our marriage. And it was tough. It was really, really tough. And so <laughs> we were these awkward, young, early 20s. And we were just, now we were married, but our relationship had changed, and we were living in a house, we were sharing a house together. And we were trying to do church, and we were just trying to do life, but it just got really awkward and really horrible. And what made it worse was that everyone was coming up to us in church going, oh my gosh, it's your first year of marriage. Yeah, you guys must be so happy. And we were like, yeah. Because they didn't see what was going on at home. People were literally coming to us and like, you guys must be having the best time. Yeah, it's your first year of marriage. Yeah. And it got really tough. And... By this point, I'd quit working um, at the caravan place because, God forgive me, I told them that I was like, yeah, I'm going to start teaching. It, it got to August, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to go and start teaching now, so I'm going to quit my job because that's the smart thing to do. <laughs> and um, uh, by October 2013, um, I was married but had no job, no money. I'd left the worship team. That was a great conversation between me and Matt at that time. <laughs> and left the worship team. And two months in, my marriage was already on the brink. It was horrible. And I allowed my situation to kind of cloud my view of who God was, if I'm being honest. And I just got really angry. I got to this really dark place. I literally even got diagnosed with depression. It was that bad. And... Um, to top it all off, my fridge broke. <laughs> Another parry, really? What? My fridge broke. It's funny, we were going, I was going through my preach the other day, and Becca said, I've never seen someone so angry about a fridge. <laughs> never seen someone so angry about a fridge. But <laughs> what had also happened at the time was that I had applied um, for a job um, at Philip Morant. And um, they were about to reject me for the third time, little did I know. And I remember, I, you know what, going through this preach, I used to, when I get like in a, in a really emotional state, I write my prayers out to try and be more holy and connect with Jesus more. <laughs> and it, it was, I was reading the prayer like on Friday, and I was just like, oh, I, 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 what are we doing? What are you doing? You know when you try and be fake humble in front of Jesus? Lord, I'm your humble servant. Lord, whatever your will is, let me, <laughs> although, you know, not your will, not your will, but mine, please, Jesus. <laughs> it was one of those prayers. Oh, my gosh. So bad. And, um, yeah, Becca was on tenterhooks because the fridge was broken. And she went to work. I was jobless at home. <laughs> and I was just pr I was praying, and I was like, Lord, really, the fridge? Not now. Not now. I don't have money to pay for a fridge. And then at, on the 23rd of October, 2013, I got this text. Can you put it up? 
All right, so. Hey, Ayo, there's a job at, this is the company I was working at, in a different department, and it's seven pounds per hour. It's definitely for a week and go, to, go on for longer and lead to other things. If you're interested, can I put your name forward? Now, what you can't see here, this was sent at like 10.30 the night before. I got the text, and I was like, really good. I asked to help for help, but I didn't want to go back to the job I just came from. I didn't want to go back. I didn't want to have to humble myself and go back. However, you know, I looked at my bank account the next morning. It still says zero. So, <laughs> which week is it, Catherine? Please sign me up. <laughs> However, can you see? It was 10.30 the night before, 2.30 the next day. It took a long time for that prayer. I was like, look, come on. Let that holy bank transfer happen. Please, Lord. I was waiting. Absolutely waiting. <laughs> In fact, I was so annoyed. I was like, Lord, I'm so annoyed. This is not what you said. This is what I wrote in my notes that day I found it. Honestly, where are you? Are you even listening? If you've given up on me, just let me know. Thanks. <laughs> I'm being honest. God forgive me. I was there. Maybe you're holier than I am. Maybe you're better than me. I was there. That's exactly where I was. You said that you were going to allow me to be vulnerable. Honestly, that's where I was. Honestly, where are you? Are you even listening? If you've given up on me, just let me know. Thanks. What kind of passive-aggressive nonsense is that to Jesus? <laughs> what? <laughs> Just let me know, thanks. Okay. Okay, you can, take, you can take my shame off now. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So, <laughs> I took the job. I went. I was thinking, uh, well, it's money for a week. I can save money for a week. Buy a new fridge. Remember the fridge. All right, so, I got there, and there were about five or six other people there, and we were just going to do some data entry job. But like by 11 o'clock, it was very fairly evident that they had hired too many people for the amount of work there. So they were like, guys, really sorry, we've really overshot this. We're going to have to, we'll, we'll pay you for today, but there's no work, you have to go home. <laughs> but God. <laughs> However, they remembered my obedience and service from when I worked there before. So they called me to the back room and they said, we're about to send everyone home. However, you need to kind of walk off the premises, walk around for an hour, come back. We have some work for you, just you. Amen? Amen. Cool. So, I wasn't teaching yet, but I was like, you know what, Lord, I'll do this. <laughs> Fine. Whilst I was there, I got an interview invite. Sorry, I got an email inviting me to like this equivalent of like a speed dating thing where I had like multiple interviews in one day. And they said, there's going to be a school in Colchester there. Like, we want you to come all the way to London, have multiple interviews, but there's going to be a school from Colchester there. And I thought, yes. So I was like, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but I know you're moving now. You, ma you made sure that even when everyone else got sent home, they kept me because they remembered my service. I'm going to focus on who you are. So I got there. I got there early. Awesome. Guess what? Colchester School didn't show up. What? Okay. Jesus, you want to try me today. Okay. <laughs> Fine. So I was like, all right, you know what? Fine. God, I don't care. I know you brought me here for a reason. It just so happens that one of the other schools I was meant to see was also there early. So they were like, you're both here early. 
do you just want to have an interview now? So what was meant to be a five-minute interview turned out to be a 25-minute conversation. And he said, you're really good. I want you to come and teach a lesson in my school and um, see how it goes. I went there, taught my lesson. He was like, you know what? I don't do protocol. I was meant to call the office. However, I want to hire you now. This is meant to be a supply contract. I want to hire you permanent now. <laughs> Amen. Awesome. Wasn't just, wasn't, just a per, wasn't just a permanent contract. He also wanted to start me up up a pay scale. Then, this is, this is November. By February, another pay increase. So we're like, we really like you. We don't want you to go. Here's more money. Hallelujah. Then, <laughs> then by, so that's um, February. By September, before the end of my first year of teaching, promoted. Before the end of that year, I got an award for my teaching because of God. I never, even in the face of everything going wrong, even when the fridge decided to die, God was still working. God was still working. I know the awesome thing is, you know that school that I sent the, my lovely prayer to in text to God that rejected me three times? I work there now. I got hired in January, and I got another promotion as I went to work there. You see, even <laughs> at the time, I felt like, God, but I'm sure you're calling me to this school. God, I'm sure you said it. God, I'm sure you said come. But in the face of everything, I was like, maybe not. I had to refocus on who God was. What, who God was. I needed to get back into what I was. I rejoined the worship team. Matt was like, hallelujah. <laughs> I rejoined the worship team. We became connect group leaders. We got more stuck in in church. And we focused. And God was able to use that to set me up to where I am now. Even my, even my marriage. So we're going to be married, for like, mad, five years in July. Rah. Like, that's even happened. <laughs> but for us, we had to continue our marriage prep into our marriage, which was hard for us. But it wasn't until... We, when we bought our first house in 2014, and um, not long after, someone came to Becca at church and went, I really want to talk to you because I've been through some tragedies in my life as well, and I see how God is using you and how you carry yourself with grace, and I want that. Now, Becca didn't realize that God was, even when she didn't realize that she was going through a private battle. God was already using that to be a public victory for someone else. Even in the midst of that battle. Because all we did was just get stuck in. We concentrated on each other. Rather than concentrating on my many flaws, we concentrated on God. We got stuck in at church. We were more diligent. And we just sought to lift each other up in God. And our marriage just gets better and better and better. Because we never lost, we, just, we made a choice. We are not going to lose sight of who God is. We've been through so much in our first three years of marriage that most married couples should never have to go through. And God brought us here. So when, we, when another issue wants to come before us, we go, you know what? God is good. God does good. And he's able to make all things work for his good. Now, I'm not doing, <laughs> I don't want to share this to be 
a brag or to boast or anything like that. But I want to share this because it's my final I dare you. Every single one of you has a testimony. You might not necessarily be some, the person who's going through a struggle. You know what? God bless you. Tell your story, please. No matter how small you think it is. No matter how small you think it is. Share, tell your story. That problem that you, you're going through that you think happens only to you, you, you never know how common that is until you share your story. The word says that we are encouraged by the word of our testimony. Share your story. You don't understand how much faith rises. How oh, hyped up people get when they hear a testimony. Someone told me a testimony the other day about how God is working to work a miracle in their holiday. I was like, amen. Come on, me too. <laughs> me too. The smallest testimony can build up someone's faith because you don't know what someone else is going through. So I dare you. I dare you to tell your story. See how God uses it. See how God uses it. Don't keep it to yourself. You know what? When God brings you something, you don't say anything. You're doing God a disservice. That thing that <laughs> the enemy wants to use your testimony as a source of shame. Use it as a tool to break through for someone else. It's not. So <laughs> God bringing you through something in the darkness is not a point of shame. God wants to use that to elevate someone else in their situation. And I sat, I remember getting through all of that, and I remember thinking, I have no idea why I had to go through all of that stuff. I have no idea why I had to get to that point in my marriage. I, never, I had no idea why I had to struggle so much with work. But I know God is going to use it somehow. I might not be able to, it might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but I know God is going to use it somehow. And I never anticipated that I was going to share it in church, but guess what? Here I am. I want to be able to be vulnerable with my family. I love you guys. But I want to, I want to dare you to also be vulnerable. Open yourselves. If we're, if we're family, let's be about family. Let's actually, I don't want it to be a thing where we just kind of say, oh my gosh, yes, let me hug them on Sunday. Wonderful. No. <laughs> I want it to mean something when we say that we are family. Your testimony could be the key to someone else's breakthrough. So today, I, I want to dare you. I truly want to dare you to be open to a move of God. Because at all times, God is good. God does good. And he's able to make all things good. Amen.